you're signing up for heartbreak. You have to know you might be losing what you're in. Are you ready for that? Are you going to like long game fuck up your marriage or are you going to like face what you're looking for and go, here's what we need to do? Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to ethical non-monogamy. I am one of your co-hosts, Robin, and I'm here with my glowing through the chaos co-host, Sarah. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. We had a little bit of some recording snafus this morning. Mm -hmm. We're like ever so slightly off of our routine. We're recording on a Sunday morning, which sounds just so delightful, but you know, (laughs) we forgot how to do everything. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It's good times. So Sarah, what is your fuck yeah this week? Okay, we have a live event on Thursday, September 28th. We are interviewing Tristan Terramino about her new memoir, A Part of the Heart Can't Be Eaten, and it is really juicy. It's such a book of a time. I can't wait to talk to her about it. And we are going back to our alma mater of sorts, Pleasure Chest, (laughs) to host this event. But it's a fuck yeah for me because we're closing out season two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love setting some goals and then achieving them. <laughs> uh-huh. That's your jam. <laughs> and we had said we wanted to do a live event this season. Yeah. And there was like a, a point mid-season where I was like losing a little bit of steam around it. It started to cause a little bit of stress. And then it was this thing of like what is meant to be will be. It mm-hmm. all came together in this like perfect kind of way where suddenly it was like, no, this is the live event that we should have. Mm -hmm. And everyone was super jazzed about it. You know, Tristan, us, the pleasure chest. And I miss presenting and being with people in person. And so the whole thing about podcasting, while I love it, don't get me wrong, I adore doing this podcast. I also really like getting live laughs. Yes. And talking and connecting to people afterwards and hearing their story and like hearing how like the thing that you're doing that we're doing how it lands you know Mm -hmm. so I'm just so excited about our live event. I'm really interested in really getting into that book and then talking about it and seeing all of you you can come out and meet us we will be there in West Hollywood at the Pleasure Chest Thursday September 28th that conversation is going to be so juicy because the book is like absolutely shameless like just getting into so many sexual escapades and it is really, really fun. So it's gonna be a super fun conversation. Go to our Instagram at fuckyapod or go to thepleasurechest.com to register for your tickets. It's totally free, but you do have to register. But we jump ahead today. We have Dirty Lola on the podcast. I am so excited for this conversation about non-monogamy. She is the guru of non-monogamy. So I just have so many questions. I'm very interested. I actually can't believe we haven't had this episode happen yet. Yes. 
first of all, how have we not had Dirty Little on the podcast? Right. Second of all, how have we not done a deep dive into ethical non-monogamy? Because it's, I think, such a hot topic, but also like such an important topic to be thinking about how we construct our relationships and the ways in which polyamory and non-monogamy really flip a lot of the scripts on their head and like, yes, you know what we like to do. We touched on it a little bit in the first season with Mike's episode about thruples. And that's a very specific thruple, you know, that is their own jam. And so if you want to see like how ethical non-monogamy can work in a specific relationship that is two-thirds go-go boys, then listen to last season's episodes with Mike. But we're really going to get into like a deep dive about ethical non-monogamy because Dirty Lola is one of the premier experts on this subject and is living the life. And if you are not familiar with Dirty Lola's work, she is an award-winning sex edutainer. So mm. she's the founder of Sex Ed A Go-Go in New York, which is a really fun show. And she was featured as a sexpert on the Netflix docuseries, The Principles of Pleasure. Actually, it's quite good. I was yes. surprised. You know, I always watch those things with a little bit of a side eye expecting them to be cringy and it's not. It's fantastic and she's so great on that show. She has also been exploring and in polyamorous and kink communities for, you know, most of her adult life. And so she uses her platforms really to teach about polyamory and open relationships. And we are going to get into it with her. Welcome, Lola. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. Excited to be here. We want to warm you up a little with some rapid fire questions. We're wondering what is your favorite thing to wear right now, clothing or otherwise? Oh my God, it's the end of summer. I have a caftan I like a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm in my Mrs. Roper phase. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I have one that's all one color, but it's like this iridescent, purpley, pink, mm. shimmery fabric that moves. And I love it because it has like the waist tie on the inside. So like you can actually see your body, but it's still mm -hmm. a caftan and it's not like a tight thing and it's very booby. It's it's very nice. It's slutty Mrs. Roper. So oh. I enjoy that a lot. I mean, Mrs. Roper was pretty slutty. Like a caftan is about flow. Right. It's a central experience when the breeze blows. Yes. You know, yes, 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 like kind of moving. No one knows you have a body, but it's there. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity crush? Ooh, it was Bo from Days of Our Lives. Solidly remember that, that you just unlocked that memory. Wow. I was very invested in the whole Bo patch and hope love triangle when I was like five. How old was that when that was on? My grandma watched that show. Okay. And that we're going to talk about non-monogamy today as well is very interesting <laughs> that you were investigating hardcore drama relationships from a very early age. My grandmother like days of our lives. And so I got very invested in that love triangle. See, I should have known then that I was polyamorous because mm -hmm. I could never, 
I wanted them both. And you're like, why can't I have them both? Uh, right. They both have these wonderful qualities. And Patch has a patch. Like, come on. I need, come on. <laughs> a beard and a patch. And he's on a motorcycle. Uh, you know? I can't wait to look this up. I'm imagining, but I don't have the reference. Oh, so good. What was your first mode of masturbation? Humping. <sighs> Humping. Yes. I was a humper. I was either five or six mm -hmm. and it was by accident. The first time I was sitting on a basketball, you know, like mm. kids are like, oh, and just, I was just like sitting on it and playing around and rocking and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that felt good. And I just kept going. And then I had an orgasm and it was like, <gasps> wow. And I said nothing to anyone, of course. But then I started like testing out things stuff. You remember having an orgasm that young. That's amazing. Oh yeah. That was that I remember that first time very clear. Like perfect. I mean, also I have a good young memory because trauma. So in my very early years, I have a very bright, detailed memory of, but that's one of the things I remember. And that also, I mean, if you're a psychologist, I had some sexual abuse things. So that's like hypersexualization. But I don't think I understood that I was trying to achieve that. That was accidental. But then it became like, oh, ah. this other thing has happened. And I'm very aware of my body, whether mm -hmm. I want to be or not. And now I know how to do this. Huh. That's my torrid affair with masturbation wow. that has never ended. Thank you for sharing that. The complexity of our sexuality, mm -hmm. of our lives. Yeah. Like there's so much to unpack all the time. All the time. And I humped until I was 18. I didn't masturbate with my hands for the longest. That was the fingers were third. It was humping, vibrator, horrible vibrator, mm -hmm. fingers <laughs> in that order. This basketball thing is really incredible in a technical way though because the idea that you could just kind of swirl your hips around mm -hmm. to get stimulation is blowing my mind and it grinds on your clip yeah also i had a cabbage patch doll and a cabbage patch doll face was like the primo tool so yes. i pumped my cabbage patch doll's face because it was like angled like now i mm -hmm. look i still have that doll she's sitting in my room in a basket I've had it forever. Those little <laughs> scooped noses, right? Yes. And I look at it, I'm like, this is why it was the perfect thing. It was shaped just right for my little body. It was like a small face. I wish we, I would have known you guys when I was that age. Yeah. We would have taught you. I just had cabbage patch dolls sitting there, uh, you know, unhumped. Yeah. Like assholes. I had a friend teach me to use a cabbage patch doll. So yes. I was probably about eight or nine. Skillshare. I love it. She had already assessed how great the cabbage patch doll was for this. This is en endlessly fascinating, but I also really want to talk to you about non-monogamy. I'm ready. You know, people are obviously drawn to non-monogamy for so many different reasons. For myself, I've been curious about it because I think it's going to like give me some level of enlightenment and I'm just not that enlightened, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Other people come to it sort of wanting an opportunity to explore something maybe outside of their primary relationship. Some people are just naturally kind of inclined to exploring with lots of different people. And I'm mm -hmm. curious how you found mm -hmm. non-monogamy. I was non-monogamous definitely in high school. We didn't call it that. There was no example. The only people doing any kind of non-monogamy were old white hippies that lived in tree houses on real sex. 
And it was the, that was the yeah. representation of monogamy in like the 90s, 2000s. So it wasn't a thing. But I never, I never had dreams of getting married. I never mm. fantasized about that. When I, I came out in high school as bi and I was like, I just want to live in a house with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. Because I had mm-hmm. a boyfriend and a girlfriend and it was just because I met this girl and I fell in love with her because it's what happens to me. And then she was like, well, you don't have to break up with him. And I'm like, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that for a little bit. But then I met my, who's now my ex-husband, but he became my husband. And I fell like head over heels in love, which was also coupled with a lot of like savior things, like Mm -hmm. all this stuff that I was like, oh, maybe I've just been very slutty and not finding deep love. Mind you, I was 19. And then we started dating when I was 20. And then we moved in together when I was 20 and a half. And I didn't leave his side until I was 37. And he asked for a divorce. So Mm, it's a very long time. And within that, like, ball of a relationship, I realized like, oh, I've lost something that I was on trajectory to have. And that Mm. I would have had had I had more permission, like Mm. just purely like this is okay or this is what people do. And it's not, you know, weird or there's something out there. Because even then, I don't think I really I knew about swinging. I didn't know anybody who was in an open relationship or who was talking about it. This wasn't a thing we saw anywhere, but it became very evident. Like I had my quarter life crisis. I had a breakdown and I'm like, I'm not living the life I'm supposed to be living. I was so upset. I ended up having an emotional affair with actually the first boy I ever fell in love with because thanks MySpace for linking us back up. (laughs) MySpace. My age. Uh, And then I had an affair with that person as well. But realizing like, I don't want to leave you. I want to be with you and have this person. I just need more than this. This is not enough for my brain or my heart. I'm not happy because this is not who I'm supposed to be. And I still didn't know what that meant. And I found an article in the New York Times that they were talking about a book about polyamory. They like put a little description of what polyamory was. And I'm like, that's me. I think this is me. I'm pretty sure this is me. My ex was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing this, but I'm good at finding a way. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I also miss being queer, you know, being in a, a straight facing relationship and not getting to exercise your queer muscle can be a lot as well and he was more than happy for me to do that within our relationship so we started looking for third swinging like exploring that stuff together and through that like starting to dabble in all other parts of Mm non-monogamy and then we got a little deeper and he met someone who I met her first and had sex with her first but then they started dating And then he was like, you know, I think I would be open to this. And so that was like, everything kind of opened up. We had a poly family, polycule for a really Mm -hmm. long time. And then the thing that everybody tells you is going to happen, like, they're just going to leave you. He left me for her and she left her her, Mm -hmm. her husband for him. But I'm like, monogamous people get left all the time. (laughs) But this is not just because we were polyamorous, but it was also because he wasn't really polyamorous. He did not have the capacity to actually have like that kind of deep love for both of us. So something has to shut down for some people if something else is bigger for them in that moment. Yeah, it's so interesting because I have friends, one of whom is polyamorous and one of whom is polysexual. Mm -hmm. So 
they have a really interesting time kind of navigating that dynamic because the one who's polyamorous is like, I can't totally wrap my head around how you have relationships with people without also having love. Mm -hmm. And then it's also sort of dangerous, quote unquote, when the partner who's polyamorous starts exploring with somebody because they can't have any kind of relationship without having love. Okay, let's talk about terminology for a second, because there's so many different ways to describe this. We just said like polyamorous, polysexual, but there's also, I'm noticing trends evolving towards ethical Mm non-monogamy as kind of the primary term. Well, and then I heard the term relationship anarchy recently. That's a separate whole thing. And then there's open relationships. So yeah, we got to break it down. So non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy is really like the umbrella. And I think why some people who are practicing polyamory have pulled away from calling it poly because there's been a lot of toxic stuff. And as things have moved into the media, like media is portraying every type of non-monogamy as polyamory. And polyamory mm-hmm. is a thing under this large umbrella of non-monogamy. And you want to hope that all of your non-monogamy is consensual and ethical Mm -hmm. and that you're practicing it in that way. But we know some folks aren't, but it's one thing. So the relationship anarchy is a type of non-monogamy. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily polyamory. It could be a way you practice your polyamory. Swinging falls under non-monogamy. Monogamish people fall under non-monogamy. There's so many little things, but my biggest pet peeve is that everything gets painted as polyamory, which Mm -hmm. is problematic for the very reason that you just said, Sarah, is like, if you are polyamorous, your prime directive in your brain and your heart is to create bonds. And those bonds are different types of love. So it's friendship, deep friendships, deep sexual and loving relationships, but it's meant to create bonds. It's not just, I'm sleeping with this person and I'm going, so which is like totally okay if that's how you're conducting things, but that's not polyamory. Sleeping with Mm -hmm. a bunch of people and not creating a relationship with that person is not polyamory. That's dating. (laughs) It's just (laughs) dating. Or just fucking around. Like it's not Mm -hmm. polyamory. Polyamory is somehow we are creating a bond. Now, does that mean it's going to be the love of your life every single person? No, there's comets, you know, people that fly through our lives and come into our lives in moments and then are right back out. Maybe we see them once a year and we have like your primary partners. If you're not doing hierarchy, I have a main partner. I don't call him my primary partner. I'm solo polyamorous because I am my own primary partner. I don't Mm. do hierarchy except for I come first. So I guess I do. (laughs) I don't look at anybody as like, you're that main person. It's like me than everybody else. I take care of myself. I live alone. My life bubble consists of me. I talk to myself Mm -hmm. when I have to make plans to see people. So there's all these different facets. There's so much out there. And there's so many good resources that people just don't look to. They don't read or they don't want to really get it. And I think it's just a lot of buzzwords are happening. Also, language is going to change. You know, how people decide to use stuff is changing. And when you have a set of people who have been using stuff, but it's not that 
old and then you have newer generations coming in already kind of upending and flipping things because that's what you do. You get a lot of like static. So I think that's where we are right now. But I, I think a lot of people can agree that non-monogamy is this big umbrella. Everybody needs to stop calling everything polyamory because it's not. Yeah. It's like how we always call the vulva the vagina. Yes. I'm like, can yes. we stop doing that? It's not. It's not. That's not it. I know what we used to do. We don't do that now. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there are some kind of overarching rules or agreement in the same way that like in kink, right? We have a few things that we can mutually agree on, you know, negotiation, uh, safety, communication, these kinds of things. So, you know, when people are engaging in ethical non-monogamy, are there kind of some different sets of parameters if, say, you are engaging in non-monogamy in a way where you do have a main partnership versus where it's a total like non-hierarchy? How do people navigate the rules? There's a lot of not. I, I think there's all these different areas that I've noticed. There's so many people who are practicing this in like a weird bubble. Like if, okay, if you go onto Facebook groups, they are infuriating because it's so many people who clearly done no reading. Because I think it's important to know what you're getting into. Words mean things, phrasing means things. Learning how to navigate is important. And there's so many books out there now. Like there's not just like the one, there's so many different books and things about building any type of non-monogamous or open relationship. It doesn't just have to be polyamory. But I think there's a lot of people kind of utilizing it, which you see a lot in these Facebook groups of somebody brought it up and then they kind of are like, well, I think this is how it works. And then they kind of run it how they want it to work, which doesn't always feel so consensual and ethical because a lot of what it reads is like people don't have a choice or I want to make rules for you, but not for me. Or there's mm -hmm. a lot of that happening, which is in the scheme of things, very like sophomoric, new to the game type behavior. But if you're not correcting it or doing some in-depth, like how do I make this work really work? It's not going to change. So I think you have like that bubble of people. You have folks like me who on top of being, this is part of my identity, this is also the work I do. So we're very like invested in terms and definitions and modes and modalities and how to move through things. And then you have the people in the middle. So I think the main thing that everybody talks about is like communication and, and talking mm -hmm. to each other and figuring things out. But that's why I really impress upon people getting some kind of information and resources because how do you know what you want to do how do you know mm -hmm. how you want to move through it if you don't know all the ways not even that there's it has to be you have to pick this slot or that slot you can make your own slot but how do you do that in the way that's going to be least harmful and that's going to be mm -hmm. most productive and the thing that you want which is are you trying to keep all of these relationships afloat and having them be productive how do you want to run that not only how do you want to run that, but how do the other people that you're with want to run that? Like, what is everybody's idea of this? Also, there's the whole idea of like dating your own species and your own inner species, because I've seen polymono work very beautifully. It doesn't for a lot of people because mm. those are different value sets. And it's kind of hard to find ways to make those things meet without certain thinking in place. But how do you and yours want to make it work best for yours? And how do you compromise? There's very loose guidelines in that. But I think there's a lot of like, we have to talk about it in order to figure it out. There has to be conversation. There has to be learning about boundaries. I know when I started, when we opened up, I had so many 
so many rules and boundaries Mm -hmm. because it was, my partner was very like, I don't want to do this, but this is happening. And I kind of want to do this, but not, I don't know. So like, how do I make myself feel safe? And how do I build all these little walls and rules? But then slowly it's like, oh, this was a stupid thing for me to ask for it. This doesn't even really matter. It seems so important mm. at the moment. So that falls away. And then like, oh, you know what? I feel so much better about this now. And I see how this is not really necessary. So this falls away. In the relationships that I'm in now, I mean, like our boundaries are things like, I don't want to hear about how good your dates were because you live far away. And it makes me upset that I don't also get to go to the Ren Fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me a moment. Don't. Don't just tell me about it. Ask me if I want to know about it. And sometimes I'm like, tell me, I want how was your, did you have fun? And sometimes I'm in a very like, I miss you. I'm feeling very raw right now. And this isn't the time for you to tell me how much fun you had parachuting or whatever fun thing you did without me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they become more specific to who you're with and less of like this overarching ruling thing, but you have to get there first. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I, and I think that's the, yeah, people aren't willing to do the journey. Mm. And it's very annoying to me that they don't want to do the homework. And this is not an easy thing. It is not. When I talk about it, it sounds so fluid and easy. And that was work. It took a lot of work. It took some failure. I've had a lot of like drama and loss while being in this life, but it's worth it. Like that's my main thing to people is you're signing up for heartbreak, depending on where you are in your relationship. If you're opening up, there's a chance you have to know you might be losing what you're in. Are you ready for that? But also is staying in it worth not being who you are or being happy and then possibly wrecking that anyway, because you're not happy. Are you going to like long game fuck up your marriage or are you going to like face what you're looking for and go, here's what we need to do. So talking, talking is our main tenant, talking in the Google calendar or the main tenants of It's so interesting because we just were speaking with lesbian curiosity coach on a recent episode. And a lot of it is very similar about like coming out later in life, like you already have an established relationship and everything. And it's making me wonder, like, how did you know you have this non-monogamous spirit? in you and what do you do you think that some people are monogamous they just in their core monogamous or do you think we're all programmed to be monogamous and then other people have an easier time deconstructing that programming i think very and not anybody listening i'm not saying i'm not saying it's the same but i think it's very much like how do you know you're gay you know like how do you know Mm -hmm. you're you're queer it's for some people like for me it's just the way i've always worked i fall in love very easy i gravitate towards multiple people, even at a young age. I mean, we talked about the soap opera in the Mm -hmm. beginning. For me, it was like, why not both? Like, why couldn't you just have both people? I never understood the like need to make a choice. Yeah. Both of these people are valid. They both would bring things to into your life that you would like. Why do you have to choose? That's always been the question in the back of my head of why. And I've just always had that capacity. I have a lot of friends. I tend to pull people in It's the same way in my romantic life. I love meeting new people. Like that is sex for me in a big way is meeting new people and learning about who you are makes my brain like so it li- I light up. It's mm-hmm. a big part of who I am and it is a part of my identity. And it took that took a while to realize like I was fighting it. So that was, mm. oh, this is who you've always been. Let's stop that because clearly you're not doing the right thing. And then realizing like, oh, you're so unhappy because you're Mm. shutting down a part of you. And I was also shutting down my queerness to be in this straight relationship, making a choice 
and mm-hmm. shutting down this other part of me that I had no label for. And it was horrible for me. And coming out of that and then finding all these pieces, like getting to to explore my queerness in a deeper way when we opened up, because that's what that allowed also. It gave me it gave me that opening to to do that more and find out like really how do I love, how do I connect, mm-hmm. who and how and all those things. You can't do that in a closed container. And that's what monogamy is. I, however, do believe there are plenty of people who don't have the capacity, don't want to have the capacity. I don't think it makes you not enlightened or less than. I do not agree with that thinking. I think there are people who are just meant to be monogamous. They want that soulmate container. They are looking for that Mm -hmm. one person to be with. Maybe somewhere else in their life, they might find somebody else, but it's like one at a time. Being with multiple people is hard. It is not Mm -hmm. easy to juggle. And I think that is a skill set. So I think there are a lot of people that aren't able to do this and don't and don't feel the need to or don't feel drawn to. They don't they're not missing something when they're in their monogamous relationships versus people who are polyamorous or in other types of open relationships. I think you do feel like you're missing something when you're not able to stretch that muscle. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at like the different types of people in open relationships, you have people who are like so flush. They have so many partners that I'm even like, how do you do that? I know my top is three people. I can be in very attentive relationships with three people tops. That's it. That's it. I can't do more because that's all my bandwidth would be too stretched. Mm -hmm. And even then, like my main partner lives in California. I'm not, I don't have to deal with him on the day to day. It's not part of my daily life other than some texting and being in touch that way. So having two people that don't even live in my state, trying to like find somebody local and then I'm going to be topped off. That's it. Like, I, I won't be able to, like, reach out. Doesn't mean I won't be attracted or wanting to be with others or whatever, but it's also my limit of attention. My attention can only go so far. So I think it's different from person to person, but I think there are people who need to explore that. Same way with sexuality. Sometimes people are like, oh, I thought I was straight, but then I had this experience and I realized there were these things that turned me on that I never thought about because I hadn't connected it to anything. I think it's very similar with non-monogamy and getting into stuff and realizing like, oh, this works. And then I think you have your people that are like my ex who could be in it, thrive in it, but also will pull back and become monogamous again. But then it's knowing who who you are so you can communicate that with people. I don't want to be with somebody who's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to be monogamous now after I've fallen deeply in love with you because that's how my brain works. That's what's going to happen. And then you're going to leave me. I'm good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what you were saying earlier about find your species. Yeah. How does someone other than just experience How do you figure out what species you are? Time, right? I guess it's it's time. And sometimes it's going to be with age or like things that are happening in your life. What's going on? It might shift for you. Like, what do I need in this moment? So you might have a decade of being like, I'm looking for this very specific thing. I want to be with other people who are actually polyamorous and looking to build these kinds of relationships. And then you might meet someone and you might not have anybody else in your life. And this person really might fulfill all these checkboxes for you to where it's overwhelming that need to like go be with other people. So you might be able to do that for a while. Do I believe that that won't rear its head again? 
know because I've literally been in that type of relationship where for a very long time I didn't mm-hmm. even it was like I had blinders on like mm-hmm. I had no want or need to look at other people he was the I was like laser focused on this person it was the he was the only thing I wanted I didn't for anything else but that slowly peels away because that's like we talk about NRE in non-monogamy new relationship energy. Mm -hmm. I think we all have that with our long-term relationships, even in monogamy, right? Like you think about how people are obsessed with each other when they first meet and then they get married and then that like kicks up the obsession for a while. But then sometimes after you have kids, how you are with people shifts because you have to pay attention to this human who can't do anything for themselves and and now your your obsession becomes this other person, this other being, and it and the, the way we are obsessed with our kids are in a very different container, mm-hmm. and it splits off a little bit, and so that's where we see like, oh, this is the shift. It's a shift in your relationship, and then as you age and our bodies start failing us or just doing what they're supposed to do, and <laughs> our sex drives ebb and flow, and how we connect with each other, all of that is the very thing I'm talking about, right? Like it's, it shifts how we want to be with each other or the way in which we decide we can be with each other. It's never going to be the same throughout your whole life. Mm -hmm. It's going to change so many times. Do I feel like I will ever be in in a monogamous relationship again? Hell no. (laughs) I think I I served my time. I tried it. I tried it. I didn't like it. However, everything I just said, I have to be open to the possibility that maybe when I'm 60, that might happen for me. Or, you know, maybe I would just become a hermit and I don't have sex with anyone. You know, who knows what's going to happen when I'm like 70, 80. I love this nuance over the course of our lives that you're kind of, I guess, giving permission to or recognizing that we do change so much over our lives. I think especially like for young people, I remember just kind of thinking about who I was going to be when I'm like 30 you know, you're like, you're pushing for 30. And then like you hit 30 and you're like, and now you realize you were a baby when you were 30. And because there's so much that can change. Like I have a similar story in a lot of ways where I was polyamorous early on in my teens. I had my two boyfriends and stuff, but then I kept getting involved with people whom monogamy was important for. And so I would be like, okay, I can do that for you. But I am a non-monogamous person. And now I'm in this spot where I'm like, I can feel that non-monogamy in me, but I'm just also so tired that I'm like, I like you saying that you're a three cap person. I'm like, I think right now, like I would identify as non-monogamous, but I don't have energy. I barely have energy for one. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind (laughs) of almost at like half of one is what I can handle right now or zero. I'm kind of like a non-monogamous person that doesn't have capacity for it. And, but that will change. And I, and I, but I can feel that in me that I have capacity for many or less depending Mm -hmm. on time period. But I know like Sarah, you have a, a monogamist's heart, right? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, I'm, and maybe this is a question that I have for you, Lola, is I feel like some of us have this like strong tendency towards one side or I think it's the same with sexuality, right? Like Mm -hmm. you might lean one way or the other, but for me, I also feel like culture has done Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. in terms of kind of programming. And I think that 
there have been times in my life where I've noticed that I am very called towards non-monogamy, but it's not even really something that I've practiced that much. Yeah. And because I have a natural leaning towards monogamy and the culture has infused that in mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. now I'm at a stage in my life where I don't have the muscle memory or like skills right. around non-monogamy. So now it's like, I am solidly monogamous, but was mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of how I was programmed? Did I come out of the womb monogamous? I don't believe necessarily Mm. that I did, but I do think that I've been shaped in this way where now I'm like, I'm pretty solidly, (laughs) particularly in the relationship that I'm in right now that is Mm -hmm. so mutually supportive and that I feel like we have each other's back in a way that I've like never felt in any other relationship that I've been in that I'm just like, we, like Andrea is my ride or die now. Mm -hmm. Like I can't see myself. (laughs) And of course, maybe that will change, but I hope it doesn't. Right. Yeah. I hope that we stay like this forever. Okay. So let's just like fast forward me back five or six years. I had some callings towards non-monogamy and I just imagine that I would have hit so many pitfalls (laughs) (laughs) of like, (laughs) I would have been a hot mess. So what do you think are some of the common pitfalls that people run into and you know, what are ways that you work through them? I want to start by saying yes, programming, like There's so much programming that happens because it's the way, at least in modern times, we've been told we we exist and Mm -hmm. they've neatly cut out all the historic and prehistoric parts of non-monogamy that has existed in different cultures. Like we don't learn that. We've never learned that in Mm -hmm. history. You get a little smidge in the Bible, you know, (laughs) of all the wives, you get a little smidge of that. So culturally, yeah, we, I think we're all programmed and I don't know anybody who is practicing non-monogamy that doesn't still have the dregs of monogamous thinking that pop up sometimes because it's so much how this was always given as a rule of life. But I think also there's other ways we get programmed or shown things. So like my mom always had boyfriends. It was never like she dated somebody and stopped and then somebody else picked up. Like they were always men. And maybe I'm talking about my mom being a slut, but... (laughs) Good for your mom. Okay, yeah, go mom. So I think like, was that part of my thinking and programming in all of this? To move into the next question about pitfalls, this has a lot to do with that programming, right? Looking at everything from a finite set of rules. Like when we talk about cheating, Mm -hmm. what is cheating? That's different for everybody. For some people talking to someone else who has different genitals than you is cheating. Mm -hmm. Porn. Yeah, porn. Porn Mm -hmm. is like you watch this video, being at the beach and seeing people in their bathing suits Mm -hmm. and staring for too long could be considered cheating. And it's different for everyone and how they rule their lives. And I, you know, have met people where they're like, if my husband kissed somebody, I'd be fine. It's like, just don't have sex with them. And I'm like, okay, you know, like that's, that's your rules about what you decide. Assuming that we all share what cheating is and not talking about that. So like, especially if you have something that doesn't normally get, you know, thrown in that basket of, of what people might associate with cheating. And then you're like, I didn't even know I did that. Like, I didn't even know I, this transgression mm-hmm that I crossed this boundary because it was never spoken about. So like not talking about your values around those things, Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to get the sailing away with somebody new with that new relationship energy and that obsession that is so real. 
it's so real. You, you know, the excitement around a new person and not tuning into how that could be affecting the people that you're with or that you're making sure you're Mm -hmm. still taking care of your partners in ways they're checking in. You're, you're not forgetting about them while you're floating off into this new space with someone oversaturating ourselves, making promises and agreements that, you Mm -hmm. know, you're not going to be able to keep Mm -hmm. to a lot of different people uh, because (laughs) Mm -hmm. just out of time and money, especially in this economy, like, no, like seriously, what if you always go to the movie with all your partners separately and maybe you like you have eight partners and they all want to see the Barbie movie and you, instead of you all planning like a group movie together, they each want your time. That's how much money, like let's do the math. Movie tickets are like what, $20 a ticket now these days? So mm-hmm. can you afford to even do that? And are you going to stretch yourself too thin and not be able to do that? And same with timing, like not sitting down and really looking at your schedule or like this year, because flight prices went up, I really had to pull back and like, I can't do holidays this year with my partner because flights are just too expensive. But we've talked about it so far ahead that it's not like we're going to get to the holiday and he's expecting me to be there. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be there. There's a lot of just my friend Hunter calls it keeping it classy. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep that in the back of my head. She's like, I'm like, keep it classy. Like, what would I need to feel respected? How do I want to respect others I'm with and respecting their time? respecting my time and their needs and like how can we work together to address those things when we can't necessarily do the thing we want to do and I think there's a lot of just not thinking about that stuff or how how what you're doing might affect someone that you're with and it's it's really simple stuff a lot of times but it's stuff that kind of we gloss over because we're not used to having to juggle this with multiple people It sounds like you have to turn your ethics up. You do. Yeah. It's making me think that the ethical non-monogamy, like I've always been like, what's unethical about non-monogamy? But Mm -hmm. it's really like you have to be extra ethical, like because you have so many more ducks to keep in a row. Yeah. You have to flex that muscle more, I guess, is a better way to put it. I'm also hearing boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. And also thinking about, the other like we haven't even gotten into the part about your metamors the lovers of your lovers like the your partner's partners (gasps) and how you all connect and yes that's metamor is your lover of your lover i learned a new word i like that word metamor and those relationships and even that those have their own separate way they're gonna run not everybody we call it kitchen table poly is when everybody knows everyone and everybody is involved in the conversations around things. My main relationship is very kitchen table poly. So I talk to my partner's wife all the time. We're best friends. We have a separate chat with each other. We have a, we have three of us in a chat together. And then I have a chat with him and I have a chat with her. We talk about things. We talk about him when he annoys us because he annoys mm-hmm. us both in very similar ways. And I think it's been so helpful for her marriage and for my relationship with him to know he treats us equally jerky sometimes. (laughs) It's not just you, or this is just something that he does. It's a bad habit. This is how his brain works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so for us to be able to vent with each other, or sometimes I've jumped in like, I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're saying and you're not hearing each other. So can I, Mm. let me like, I'm going to translate. So we'll do like a group phone call. That's not everybody's truth. That's not how everybody runs 
their relationships. There are people that are in relationships where their partners don't want to know each other or they want to have very marginal interaction with each Mm -hmm. other. I know in the beginning, I had a lot of baggage from my marriage and losing my polycule. Like I didn't just lose my marriage. I didn't just lose my husband. I had a polycule because his girlfriend, we were were in a relationship at one point, but they were also my family and her husband Mm -hmm. and they had kids. And I lost access to those children and I was devastated. So I came into this new relationship with a husband and a wife and a kid that I was just like so many walls. It's been a growing thing for all of us and becoming part of their family. And then they just celebrated their 15th wedding anniversary last year and Mm. all of the polycule was there. And so Mm. even though I tend to be the one that gets focused on because of how deep I am in their life, everyone was there. So like her boyfriend and her boyfriend's wife and all their kids and her platonic love partner and his at the time fiance and me and we're all at the big head table and it's like hi yeah this is our this is our family deal with it and we're all here also supporting the love that made it possible for all of us to be together which was their their marriage and now we're all connected because these two people got married and fell in love and then found us and fell in love sometimes it's a fairy tale and it's but it's a lot of work like all of that that moment takes so much work it sounds like so much emotional intelligence this is some heavy emotional lifting and self-awareness like it helps to have a therapist it's next level yeah you guys yeah, are absolutely next level congratulations it sounds like a really wonderful family though it, it is feels... we have a good time it sounds like it what a party <laughs> <laughs> for folks who are starting out on their journey what are the dating apps they need to be on what are the resources that they need to look into like yeah. how do you how do you get started My first piece of advice, if you do do the dating app, don't jump in immediately. Be honest that you're new. If you're like, I'm figuring out non-monogamy. I have no idea like exactly what I want, but this is what I'm just kind of like dipping my toe in. I really enjoy people when they are that level of honest because it helps me decide like how much I'm going to invest or how I'm Mm going to invest in spending time with them. A lot of the dating apps have come around now to being more inclusive, like OkCupid, has a ton of ways to identify yourself now, which they didn't have when I was starting out 10 years ago. There's Field, which is more hookup-y, but if you're just trying to dip your toe into, I want to meet somebody and maybe not have a deep emotional connection, but just go on a date, have some fun, maybe have some sex. Field is great for that. Hashtag open. Hashtag open. They have so many ways to identify yourself. So you can, uh, from sexuality to relationship style, even like kink, there's so many things to put up so that other people can find you because you use the hashtags and people, you get shown to other people using those hashtags. I love that one. Uh, But really it's just kind of making sure when you're writing things out, I'm new to this. I'm figuring it out, especially if you're not sure how you're doing your polyamory or non-monogamy yet or how you're going to move through it. Uh, Get yourself some books. There's too many good books out there for you not to read them. Ethical Slut is amazing, even though it's not just an open relationship. It's a really good primer to helping you wrap your head around the way we've all been programmed to only be with one person and that you're dirty, wrong, you know, despicable if you're out here doing things with multiple people. There's an amazing chapter on jealousy. Like literally my chapter on jealousy is falling out of the book because I've read through it so many times. It's so good. And they put out a new edition. I love Tristan Taramino's opening up because it's a Mm -hmm. good 
kind of compendium. It's thick enough without being too thick. There's a lot of definitions and, and things in there. Designer Relationships. And I'm forgetting the names of the authors. It's a couple. And I like it because that one, it touches on like how to build what you want. Like you like these pieces. Here's some ways to like put together what you want to put together. So there's, oh, what is it? It's called Polyamory. It's just a really cute, cheeky book about, you know, bumping into everybody on a dating site and they think you're into polygamy. <laughs> but people sharing their real life stories because some people learn better that way. You know, they, they kind of want examples. So I love that book for that. Go through, find some books that maybe speak to you. Read a couple. If you're going through this alone, try to find some activities where you're meeting other people, depending on where you are. State by state, there's going to be different groups like New York. There's Open Love New York, and they always have kind of mixers. I took a date to Polycock Hill the other night, <laughs> and it was an amazing day at that. Uh, <laughs> it was really <laughs> lovely. But finding your local kind of place to meet up, and maybe it might not exist uh, right away, but there's so many spaces online. I know I kind of was like, ooh, Facebook. But sometimes that's what you got, right? So finding mm -hmm. those different groups online that are at least other people are talking about what you're going through. And maybe if you're, especially if you're new to it, or if you're a marginalized identity, like I belong to a black and poly group. And it's really refreshing to be in a place just mm -hmm. with black people talking about polyamory and what we're going through in our relationships or how, you know, our other parts of our identity tie into practicing non-monogamy, going to different conferences. I was just at Sex Down South. Sex Down South is mm. great. And it, they touch on a lot of topics, but non-monogamy is something they talk about there a lot too. There's Southwest Love Fest, and that is a alternative relationships conference. So finding your people, like if mm -hmm. you don't have people, finding your people can be very helpful. If you're a couple, get the same book, sit down, read it, highlight what you want to talk about, but go through it together and patience. I know it's exciting, I know, especially when you're like, I want to do this and your person is like, okay, it's like the doors to the Wonka factory have opened, <laughs> but remember what happened to all those children. <laughs> <laughs> Only one made it out alive. <laughs> Only one made it out alive. That's a good metaphor. It is. You like, you're going to fall into the chocolate river. You're going to get sucked up in a pipe. Are you a bad egg? All these things, because when you let your excitement overrule your better judgment. And sometimes you don't even mean any harm, but just simple mm -hmm. stuff like, I'm going to be home at this time. I'm going to check in with you at this time. All those things, you're building castles. It's like how we build consent castles. You're building mm. trust castles. You're building a non-monogamy castle. So your foundation all starts when you first start going out. If you miss those agreed upon cues of, I'm going to call you, I'm going to be home at this time, or at least saying, hey, I'm running late. This is what's happening. Shaky foundation. If you can mm -hmm. make sure you're hitting all these points to try to build this foundation of we talk about things, even down to what do you want to talk about? Do you want to know about the sex I'm having? How mm -hmm. much do you want to know? What are our safer sex protocols? Totally glossed over that. But yeah, like what are we doing with condom use, uh, fluid bonding? Are you know, like, how, what are we doing about testing? All this stuff has to be a part of how you start out. And it's not the fun stuff. It's not the sexy stuff. It's not the beautiful polycule at the anniversary party stuff, but 
you get that by building these really solid foundations. And then once that stuff is in place, you don't have to keep revisiting it as Mm. often. It's a lot easier. Mm. Lola, where can people find you and what do you have coming up? People can find me on Instagram and now threads at Dirty Lola. I'm on Twitter, but not on Twitter. And you can also find me on my website, dirtylola.co. Amazing. I pulled my sweary affirmations deck out because we'd like to leave you with an affirmation for letting you go because we so appreciate you spending your time and sharing your expertise with us. When the world says you can't, say fucking watch me (laughs) i love that one that's so good that's very appropriate for you it is cursing and all (laughs) (laughs) i love it well thank you so much for this time it's been really Uh, special i've learned a lot yay i love that wow the end of that conversation in particular getting into lola's polycule That was a new word to me. I should have been like, what does that mean? As soon as we got off air, you asked. So will you explain the word? Because we we should have asked her in person. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's so funny. We have this podcast and like I'm still sometimes not asking the question because I'm like, well, clearly everybody knows what that word means and I should know what that word means and how silly, right? I know. And we have to remember like if we don't know, probably other people don't know, you know, it's like, and I did the same exact thing. I didn't say anything. And this is like a habit we have to get out of. I think we all have that a little bit of like, I don't want to look dumb. (laughs) Yes, totally. And that was so silly. So polycule is a play on the word molecule Mm -hmm. because when you're building your poly family, it starts looking like a molecule in the way that it branches out. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's been adapted to poly relationships to describe that kind of branching out and interconnectedness of Mm -hmm. all of the people. As opposed to like the family tree, you know, because that's a different way where it all kind of sprouts out of one source and it goes in all these branches. But the idea of a polycule is that you're actually making connections and then you make a kind of hexagon or triangle or whatever shape it is. So you're actually making almost like a closed shape. I liked that concept. And then I'm sure that there are (laughs) plenty of ways that like forming poly families can be messy. But I think that that's kind of what Lola is speaking to in terms of this evolution into thinking about non-monogamy as ethical Mm non-monogamy, that everyone who is involved is considering everyone who is involved. And this is so anti nuclear family in the way that marriage being an institution that was formed in order to own women and be able to possess. And this idea in our culture that you could possess a person. We are trying to shed on multiple levels. I understand why people feel jealousy and it is normal and natural, but ultimately I do think that jealousy is rooted in the idea that we can possess somebody's 
body, love, time, and energy, and that we get upset when we don't get to have it. I think there's another level to jealousy, which is just like, oh, but I wanted to hang out with you. Oh, but I love getting the love and attention from you, and it feels so good, and now you're giving it to someone else, and that feels bad. But I do think that there's a level to it where it is like, you are mine, and I want you to do the things that make me feel happy because, you know, so I feel like it's partly trying to shed that kind of feeling of ownership over people, shed the ideas of owning or controlling somebody else that is considered totally normal. Like you watch a movie and a lot of rom-coms, there is like an ownership level to it. Thinking about the jealousy piece, it's a real base Mm -hmm. emotion, right? And it's rooted in this idea that there is scarcity. Yes. And capitalism and nuclear families are absolutely also based in that. There's limited resources. And so you've got to Get the resources that you can and, and compete with other people for those and resources. With other people. And then within the nuclear family, everyone is stretched very thin. Yes. So, yes, there are limited resources. Yes. But I, you know, we were recently on April and Amy's podcast, Shameless Sex. Go and listen to it. It aired on uh, September 15th. We were talking a little bit about non monogamy on their podcast and I was a little tipsy by the end of that um, (laughs) episode, so I don't think I articulated my feelings about monogamy, you know, as thoughtfully as maybe I could have, but it's a fun episode, so go listen to it. I think for me, like I was starting to speak to it a little bit on their podcast that I recognize that there are some personal development Mm aspects to why I've probably been drawn a little bit more towards monogamy. Like it feels more safe to Mm -hmm. me because of my personal history. And talking with Lola really did get me thinking about how much of our sexuality, our relationship style is conditioned. Yes, You know, we have things that are innate. Like I do think that I am innately queer, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if you dropped me into like a different society or like cultural environment that I would have exclusively dated women and, you know, non-binary and trans folks in the way that I have, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that some of it, at least for me, as I'm starting to think about my sexuality and relationships or continue to think about those things, I'm like, no, a lot of this for me is socially conditioned and like the environment that I need in order to feel safe Mm -hmm. within the context that I exist within. And then I also just happen now to be in a relationship that is just so like we have our needs met on a lot of levels. And even when we don't, we're in conversation about it. So it's like, I don't feel a drive. At at one point, I did feel a drive towards exploring non-monogamy and challenging myself. I don't feel that drive at all, right? You know, I've got other things that I'm worrying about. I feel you a lot on that. I'm deconstructing so many different things. Like I was thinking recently about like my appearance. I started deconstructing it. Like how much of my appearance is just trying to please my partner? And then it Mm -hmm. extended to how much of it is just conditioned to please men in general. And I'm like, okay, if I take away the sexy thing and I'm not trying to be like showing my body in a certain way, who am I? And then I was like, oh, well, I love all this dark, spooky shit. I'm going to dig into that. But then I was like, oh, But I remember consciously going for dark and spooky shit as a protection. So then if I didn't need to protect myself from 
sexual assault and shit like that, would I be dark? And then I go further back. So if I wasn't dark, would I have chosen like girly stuff if I had had the chance? I remember referring to dresses as monkey suits when I was a child. I said, I don't want to wear that monkey suit. I knew, especially in my family where there was no room for femininity, that it was degrading on a certain level. And so if I didn't have all of that, maybe I would be a sparkly, glittery pink princess because so much of it has to do with us, how we're reacting to the environment that we're in. Yep. I want to call this out before we close out the episode because Jessica Fern, I just heard on Justin Miller's podcast, I think it's called Sex and Psychology. Mm-hmm. She was is the author of Polysecure mm. and she just released a book, I mean, I think within the last few weeks called Polywise ah. and she's applying developmental psychology like the process that we go through as we develop and attachment styles and all of those things to the process that you go through as you start exploring non-monogamy. There are a lot of correlations between the growth that you go through and the stages you go through, not necessarily linearly, but when you start engaging in polydynamics that, you know, you, there are like some youthful (laughs) developmental stages that you go through. There's some teenage developmental stages and that just like in human development, that Mm -hmm. in poly development, or as you engage in ethical non-monogamy, that there is a stage called self-authorship. And that concept to me was like, I was like, okay, I want to read this book. I want to talk to her. I want to listen to like every podcast that she's on, because I think that that's a really interesting concept that applies to many different things. And I think of that in terms of my queer identity as well, that it is very much about like, okay, I've been raised a certain way. I've been steeped in a cultural community mm-hmm. that is a certain way, then like sort of steered later in my life to a community that seemed to reflect back to me a little bit, you know, like that immersion yeah. into queer community where I'm like, oh, okay, no, 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 these are my people. This is my tribe. And then you get to a place where informed by all of that journey, you're like, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is how I engage. Yeah. So this idea of self-authorship, Polywise is the book. Jessica Fern is the author. And so I think if this conversation piqued anybody's interest, I would say next step would be to look into some of her stuff because she's doing some really interesting intersections of psychotherapy human development, relationship. I love all of that stuff coming together. And that makes so much sense. None of this, a lot of times sexuality is so separate from everything else, but of course it is completely intertwined. I love that. I want to read that as well. Oh, I have so many books to read. But in the meantime, find Dirty Lola at dirtylola.co and find us at... Fuck Yeah Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at 
FYABpod on TikTok. You can email us at FYABpod at gmail.com. And if you're in the LA area, you can come to our live event on Thursday, September 28th with Tristan Terramino at the Pleasure Chest in West Hollywood. Go to thepleasurechest.com events page or to our Instagram page for a link to register for the event. And Sarah also has a pegging class on oh. October 5th at the Pleasure Chest that is free to come yeah. by and say hi and see yeah. what kind of harnesses and dildos Sarah <laughs> recommends. <laughs> Mostly just come and meet us in person. We want to see your shining faces. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com. Thanks for tuning in.